Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 528 with Aaron Levy. Aaron is talking about building great teams through psychological safety. So you'll learn one, the deciding factor for high-performing teams, two, how to make feedback less intimidating, and three, four ground rules that help teams thrive. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums that we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep528. Now here's Aaron's story. Aaron is the founder and CEO of Raise the Bar, a firm focused on helping companies address the problem of millennial turnover. Aaron is an ICF associate certified coach, a Thrive Global contributor, an 1871 mentor, the co-director of Startup Grind Chicago, and a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. He has educated, coached, and consulted over 5,500 business leaders, helping them to define goals, create action plans, and achieve sustained success. Aaron is on a mission to transform the manager role by empowering each manager with the tools, skills, and training to be leaders of people who unlock the potential of their team. So big thanks to Aaron for taking the time to chat with us again, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Aaron. Aaron, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me on for a second time, Pete. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, yes. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you. And, you know, another fun fact we learned about you is you take some cold water plunges in the wintertime. What is the story here? Yeah, it's been the last couple of years. My coach for his 60th birthday said, for my birthday, you're going to come plunge with me in the lake. And I swim with him probably May through August, September, early October. He said, we're going to go for a plunge in November, December. And I said, what? He said, it's for my birthday. And I said, okay, you only turn 61, so we'll do it. And we got in and we plunged and it became one of those things that is like, there's not really much better way to start the day than kind of plunging into Lake Michigan and getting this just cold, but also really refreshing feeling. So I try and do it a couple times a week and go in for a couple of minutes so I don't get hypothermic. And just, it's just a really nice, refreshing way to start the day. You know, it's funny you use the word nice because it sounds like uh, torture to me. Explain. Well, it is a little bit painful and it's a mental challenge. And I think that is also what's interesting about it. As, as someone who does triathlons and, and racing, it's that whole sport is a mental challenge. And so I, you kind of love the, once you get into the water, it's it's all leading up to it. But then once you're in and your shoulder deep in water, everything slows down. And you just can slow down your heart rate and your breathing. You just calm down. 
and you don't want to get too calm in there for too long, but you, you definitely calm down for a minute or two. Uh, it's, it's the lead up that that's much more crazy, I think, than the, than the actual plunge. Yeah. I was going to say, are you sure that sensation isn't you dying? <laughs> it's... No, I'm not entirely sure. It's not me dying. <laughs> We've done it enough times where we're play with that. Like, okay, at two and a half minutes at this temperature, that's too much time. Uh, you get, you know, like the, your whole body chatters for 30 minutes afterwards. You're like, okay, it was a little, I was in there a little too long. So we, we learned to figure that out on our own, but it's just one of those things that that's really refreshing. And people ask me, well, what's the science behind it? I say, well, you know, the science is hit and miss. There's cryotherapy, there's, you know, professional athletes going ice baths after sporting events or, or races. And so there's kind of following along that path is that's, it's very similar to that. Uh, but I'm not going to claim I do this for science reasons. I do it because it's exhilarating, it's fun, and it's refreshing. Okay. Well, well that's intriguing and, and it's come up before. So, so thanks for indulging us there. Uh, I want to say congrats. You have completed your book, Open, Honest, and Direct, A Guide to Unlocking Your Team's Potential. So that's cool. I, I think I want to go deep on a particular uh, vein of it, but maybe you could give us sort of like the broad zoomed out uh, message, sort of what's the, the main thesis of this opus here? Yeah, the main thesis is that it takes work to lead people. And we are usually pr promoted into leadership roles because we're good at doing what we're doing, not because we're good at leading people. And so the, the path that this book takes is it actually takes all the steps we work with leaders on is what does it take to be an open, honest, and direct leader? How do you listen? How do you ask powerful questions? How do you create the space for psychological safety to occur? And how do you ultimately realize, I think one of the hardest messages of the book to realize is that feedback is a gift and the act of giving it even in a critical conversation or in sharing something that just might not feel good to share because you might be worried about hurting somebody else's feelings actually might be the best thing that that person needs or you and your team need or all of the above need. Well, boy, there's a, uh, there's a lot to that and uh, it certainly resonates and, and rings true. And so I, I want to talk in depth about psychological safety, which is a, a theme that's, that's in the book and in your work. And so first, how about just so we're all on the same page, can you define that term for us and why does it matter? Yeah, the way I think about and we think about psychological safety is it's the belief that you won't be punished or humiliated for speaking up, raising questions, concerns, or mistakes. All right. I can give you more of an analogy, though, if that, that helps as another way to think about it. I will take it. So the way I tend to think about it is imagine you're walking through, you know, you're trying to like not be sure who you can say what to. Right. This person, if you say that to, they might blow up at you. This person you say that to, they're going to respond to you in a different way. This person's going to be passive aggressive. And it's like you're walking through a field where there's a series of landmines all around you and you're not quite sure where those landmines are. And so you're walking through the field slowly, unsure of what you say. And if you do it the wrong way, or if you say it with this tone, or if you email it in that way, that you're going to get punished or humiliated or put down. And it's just not hyper efficient. It's actually the opposite of efficiency because you're slowly walking through that field as opposed to in business, what we really want to be doing is moving at a rapid pace together towards the same direction. And so the lack of psychological safety is like you're walking through a series of landmines. Okay. So that is a, a nice, 
Well, maybe not nice. <laughs> it's a clear and illustrative metaphor, maybe, maybe kind of a spooky one, as you really put yourself in that position. And so I hear you that, you know, the belief that you're not going to be ridiculed, etc. you know, that sounds like a pleasant thing to be going on. Uh, but there's really some excellent science behind psychological safety and the, the results that that unlocks for teams. So can you refresh us on that as well? Yeah, I think the the most interesting thing about this came when I started to look at Google's Project Aristotle. And when you look at Google's Project Aristotle, it's really a study where Google said, hey, we want to figure out what are the key ingredients for a high-performing team? What makes teams perform well? And their initial hypothesis was, well, it's the right mix of people with this personality style and that personality style. We have the right mix of introverts and extroverts. We have the right mix of talent. Right? They, they thought that was the case. But when they did their research and they looked at teams within Google, but they also looked at Meta's analysis of other studies on teams, what they found was their hypothesis was totally wrong. And two of the most important factors to drive high-performing teams had nothing to do with the people on the teams at all. And that was, initially I was baffled. And, and then after I had a chance to kind of absorb that and think about that concept, right? The performance of a team has nothing to do with the people on the team at all. The cool thing about that is that means that you as a leader of a team actually have the opportunity to impact the performance of any team that you're working on immediately. And the two factors that, that show up and, and came out of this Google Project Aristotle was the need for psychological safety in the workplace and also clarity. Both of those things combined, right? Clarity on where are we going, how are we working together, and safety in I feel comfortable in my ability to do what I need to do to work. And that might mean asking a question without thinking it's a stupid question. That might mean challenging my boss because we need to challenge this idea and not just accept the norms. That's actually what drives team performance. So it's not really a thing that we talk about in our leadership training or with our clients or in any of our work as a way to just feel good. The reason we talk about psychological safety is because it is one of the top factors which drives team performance and better outcomes within a business. But, but it's really interesting how I could really think about all kinds of conversations where there's really some interrelationship there between psychological safety and clarity, because you might be afraid you're going to be ridiculed, and thusly, you don't ask the clarifying questions necessary to to arrive at your clarity. And in reverse, it's like if, if you don't feel clear about where you're going, you're, you're feeling kind of anxious and edgy, like, I hope this is maybe the right thing, <laughs> you know, like the whole time that you're engaging in, in conversation and, and hunkering down and doing your work solo. The balance and the play between the two are so, so important. And I say any great leader, their role is to provide context and clarity, clarity on where we're going, what we're doing, how we're doing it in context as to why we're doing it. But the underlying thing in that is all along that way, people need to feel safe. Well, so then let's get into it, the psychological safety. How is it earned and, and gained and built and, and how is it lost in, in terms of sort of real life day-to-day uh, -day exchanges, interactions? Yeah, at the highest level, it is gained and lost through consistency. So if you are not consistent in the way you show up, Pete, as a person with your family, with other people, they won't know what to expect from you and thus psychological safety is lost. However, if you're consistent in the way you show up, 
you are setting yourself up to say, I know if I do this, I'm going to get this response. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for psychological safety. It doesn't mean that you're going to guarantee give it if you're consistently yelling at people when they ask you a question, right? That's not psychological safety, but it's consistency in a few things. And so I, I share consistency at the start because that's probably the most important thing to remember. It's not, I just try and I'm going to share a couple of, I'll share a couple of things that, that we talk about doing, but it's not trying to do one of those things or two of those things once in a while and seeing how it works. Psychological safety is created over a long period of time where you're consistent in the actions that you do. And so one specific example of that is when you give feedback in person, right? And when I say in person, I don't mean literally it has to be face-to-face with the other person. It, It could be over the phone or via video chat. What I really mean is not giving feedback via Slack, via instant message or text message or email, because it's, it's just not the highest fidelity mode of communication. The best example I think about is it's like, have you ever had that text message where you're texting with somebody and then you feel like they might be frustrated and then the, the text bubble comes up and they, it seems like they're about to text you, but then it goes away. Uh huh. Yeah. And that's the worst. You're like, what's happening? Is he mad at me? Right. And then you go into the office and it's your boss. So you're like, you're looking for your boss and he walks in and he walks right by you. And you're like, wait, oh, he's definitely mad at me. I'm in trouble. I did something wrong. I I must've said something wrong in his email. What's going on? And you build this whole story. Little did you know, as you're building that whole story is you're reading this feedback via text message, which isn't a high fidelity mode of communication. You're building a story that he or she is mad at you for something that happened in the text message, but really they were just going from one meeting to another. And in between meetings, they they really had to go to the bathroom. And so they didn't even see you. They just walked straight to the bathroom. And when we don't give feedback in person over the phone or via video chat, we're losing that level of understanding the situation and we build a story around it. You know, this, this reminds me, this has come up once before on the show, is the, if you've seen the Key and Peel text message confusion sketch, it is priceless. It's, it's uh, not quite safe for work because of the, the language, but it's hilarious and, and illustrates that point, how we can sort of read things in and misinterpret and, and when folks are, are truly uh, have completely different intentions and, and things that they're trying to communicate there. So, okay, well, that's one practice then is offering feedback in a, you know, live real time environment. Here's the tip around that too is all right. If an email or a text message is taking you more than five minutes to craft, like you're typing it and then you delete it because you're like, oh, that sounds passive aggressive. Typing it again, deleting. You're not really sure how to respond. Don't send the email. It's called the five minute rule. Just pick up the phone and call the person or walk over to their desk. Yeah. And what I love about that, I guess the the nuance to that five minute rule is it's it's not so much you have a lot of content to share. I guess if that's the case, I'd recommend Loom. I, I love that screen recording stuff. They need to sponsor the show one day. Anyway, I love Loom for screen <laughs> recording, instant videos, so sharp. But it, the, it's taking more than five minutes, not because there's a lot of in-depth content, but because there's some emotional stuff there. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to land this way. Hmm. Like, like those are the things that are making it get stretched out. And that emotional stuff isn't going to be conveyed well via email. Right. So don't. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, so we talked the sharing. So that's one consistent action you recommend for building the the psychological safety is, is sharing these, those feedback points, uh, in, in the real time live environments, uh, in person or, or Skype or something or phone. Uh, wh- what are some of the other, you know, key consistent things that make all the difference in building up psychological safety? Avoid using absolutes like always, never can't, won't, don't. 
The truth is, is when you use absolutes like that, it just adds a layer of judgment to a situation that likely isn't true and will most often lead to someone else being defensive on the good side or the bad side. Pete, you're always late. You might look at me and say, Aaron, I wasn't late for this meeting and I wasn't late for last meeting. And I'd have to say, oh, you're right. Pete, three meetings this week that we were part of, you were late. That you can't deny, but always late. That's just probably not true. Yeah. I'm right with you there. And so, and it's also a bit more honest. I'm thinking about the the book, Nonviolent Communication now. Oh, amazing book. In terms of just the, it's an observation as opposed to a judgment. And, and there's a huge distinction and, and ways that you can sort of drift on over into the judgment territory and, and be evaluative. Uh, and one of them is those absolutes. It's so funny. It's tempting to use an absolute about absolutes. Never use absolutes. Oh, yeah. I don't know. If we, I just use an absolute. <laughs> I was about to say every time, most of the time when I deliver this and share this with leaders in my head, I'm having this dialogue of watch out for the absolutes, watch out for the absolutes. They're going to catch you in an absolute because it's such a big part of our language and the way in which we communicate, we communicate through themes and stories that we see on TV and in the world. And we communicate through absolutes and both of those actually limit the truth of what we're trying to say. I love it. Well, keep it coming. Keep it coming, Aaron. What else? Great practices. One of my favorites is simply be specific. Share what actions worked or didn't work when you're giving someone feedback. So don't Mm -hmm. share who they are or who they aren't, right? You need to care more. What do you mean I need to care more? What tells you that I'm not caring enough? And when we break this down with leaders as they start to share this in our trainings and they say, well, what tells me that they don't care is the last email that they sent to a client had three spelling errors in it. There you go. Okay. So instead of telling your employee to care more, which has a lot of judgment, has a lot of weight, just tell them that what you expect of them is to send client emails without grammatical errors in it. Yeah, I, I like that because well, one is just very specific and actionable and you can run with that and, and be enriched as a professional by by hearing and, and adapting to that, that feedback. I, I would love to get your pro take on it in, in terms of, do you want to share the, the context associated with the why behind that? Because in a way that might sound evaluative or judgy. So if you, I were to say, Hey, uh, please make sure that you double check your email so that we don't have these sort of uh, typos go out. I noticed you know, in this email, you know, these three typos. And my concern is that can create the impression that you know, we are, are, are sloppy or inattentive to detail or, or rushing over on our side. So in a way, I'm giving you some context and some why behind my request. In another way, it sounds like I might be into uh, evaluation judging territory that they might trigger defensiveness. What's your take? Well, so you did it twice unknowingly. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a reframe, take it or leave it. One of the things that you did even at the start without noticing likely was I want you to to double check your emails. That's assuming that whoever sent that email didn't double, triple, quadruple check it. I'm someone who can triple check an email and still have a plenty of grammatical errors in it. And so I can look at that and hear what you say just from the start and be like, well, I did. So here's a, here's a reframe of how to say it is. The expectation is when you have a client email that goes out, it has zero grammatical errors. The impact of having grammatical errors is they think small errors means we have errors in other things that we do, and it decreases our chance of working with them again. Yeah. So your ask was, hey, can I share the specific feedback, and can I give a little bit of the impact of the specific feedback? Yes. 
you can totally give the impact of the specific feedback. I would just make it as insular as possible. What I mean by that is as you and the experience focus, as opposed to saying, when you do that, everybody on the team gets pissed at you. Right. <laughs> right. When you send that email, the impact is I don't trust that you're going to do what you do, what, that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Right. That is my judgment and evaluation. But hey, I asked you to do something and send an email on time or send an email with no errors and you sent an email late with errors. Now I don't trust that you can do what you say you're going to do as opposed to the rest of the team was pissed off at you because that is throwing too much judgment out, out there to the group. And I know this sounds like nitty gritty. If you're listening to it as much as you can think of, how can I just be specific about what actually didn't work and the honest impact of it? Yeah. Right. The honest impact is we're worried that we might lose a client when we do, when we send them work like this. Right. Yeah. I, I like that in terms of it's clear as like, so this is the expectation for these underlying reasons or philosophies. And, and so then it gets more personal in terms of, let's take a look at this example email and let's hear that part of the conversation. Yeah. And so sometimes with feedback, you don't need to give the impact because they get it. It's just, especially when you do it in the moment or timely, it doesn't need to be spur of the moment, but it should be within one to three days. That's one of the other things that's really important is if you give feedback a week, two, three, six weeks, a month later, the person might not even remember what it was about. What email are you talking about? What did I say in that client call? What did I do in that meeting? I didn't even notice. When you give it in the moment, or within a couple of days, people are able to observe, understand what they did and change it. Right? so if someone on your team is a salesperson and they make a mistake in a sales call and you wait two weeks to tell them about the mistake, how many sales calls are they going on making the same mistake over and over and over again? Absolutely. And it just doesn't feel so great. I'm thinking about reviews in particular. It's like surprises on the, the review that might happen you know, nearly a year, you know, after the fact is like, what? Here's the analogy I play with that just because it, it's almost stupid, funny when you think about it is think about like Tom Brady and the Patriots. And I say Tom Brady, not because I like Tom Brady, but because he's a, the, one of the more recognizable football players, athletes in the world. And so he gets into the huddle. There's two minutes left in the game and he's getting the play calls in into his helmet from his coach and he's talking to his teammates and he's hearing what's going on and he lets them know the play and they all break and they spread out into the field and he sees the defense and he, they're moving around and his offense is looking at him and then he sees his wide receiver and he's not in the right spot and he looks at himself and he goes, oh, I don't know, should I? Well, we're going to have a review of the game on Monday Maybe I'll tell him to move over on Monday. Well, you know what? We're, we're almost at the end of the season. We're going to do our annual reviews at the end of the season. So I'll tell him that he's not in the right. Or I could just send him an email too. <laughs> we would think that's ridiculous. That doesn't happen. Tom looks at the guy and says, move over. He might even say move, insert swear word over. And the receiver doesn't think twice of it. He needed to know how to be in the right spot so that they could move forward towards a common goal together efficiently and effectively. Yeah. Yet in the workplace, we do that in the workplace. We say, ah, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll just send him an email. Well, I waited too long to send that email. So I'll just, I'll tell him when we have a debrief on, on this client. Well, I didn't do it then because we didn't have time. So I'll just do it at the annual performance review. That's not helping anybody grow. That's not being consistent. And so 
one of the really important things is actually just to be timely when you give feedback so they know when to expect it. On our team, one of the things we do is we have a feedback debrief in between each workshop that we do. I actually have to send one out to the group on the last workshop that that I did yesterday and the day before to say, here's what worked, here's what didn't. If I only sent an email out when things were going really well or when things were really bad, then people would be afraid when they got an email from me They'd say, oh no, is this, what did we do wrong? But the consistency is each session that we have, each week that we do it, people will know, here's the email, you know to expect something that worked, something that didn't work. Yeah, no, I think that's that's, that's huge and, and powerful. And I'm thinking about this football analogy in, in terms of, yeah, what, you're right, that would be ridiculous to think about delivering feedback in that way. And I, I guess I'm also thinking about my experience of when I'm working with sort of creative types, like, hey, we're making a logo or, or we're doing whatever. I find it so interesting is when, when I share feedback in terms of, you know what, uh, that, that white space, it, it just seems like it's, it's so tight. It's kind of un, uncomfortable, uh, you know, whatever. So it, it's funny because sometimes I, I think that I sound kind of weird. <laughs> you yeah. Know, when you talk about like design type mm-hmm. things or art type things. Or like talking about audio people. It's like, I think my voice sounds a little robot-y at times. I don't know if it's being processed in a certain way. And, and, and so they they appreciate it. Like, oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really going to dig into that. And, and so as opposed to, I guess it's, it's rare that I work with someone in like a creative capacity and they get really defensive or angry or, or irritated. Like, how, how dare you? Uh, you don't sound robot-y. We, we've mastered your voice perfectly. Or you don't know Jack about logos. That's like what I've made is is, is excellent. What do you think that's about in terms of, of the mindset if it's a football player or a, a logo designer versus an office professional and, and why sort of feedback is is often not given the same way and often not received the same way? Well, I think you'd find it interesting if you go to that same logo designer and sit in on one of their internal meetings or uh. discussion with a boss about a project. Because I, I think it's not that as certain types of people do or don't do it. I think, yes, that does happen. It's also the culture and the team by which we operate and agree to do it. And so it's kind of part of the agreement with a client. If you're doing something creative with them, that there's going to be a bunch of iterations in the process. There you go. Right. Iteration is part of the process. Yet, are we agreeing to iteration when we're determining the next steps to go forward, the strategy as a business, or when we're trying to figure out how to be better at sending client emails? Are we agreeing to iteration? And that iteration, that understanding that there's a back and forth, that's how you get to the best possible outcome, that you need feedback from all points of view and different perspectives to get to the better outcome is something that is often missing. And that's also why, right, when you're able to create psychological safety, that's one of the things that drives team performance. It's what's missing from a lot of teams is the ability to feel like I can give that feedback and can say what needs to be said, even if I'm a a first-year person in this company and I'm saying it to the senior director. But yeah, I I like that a lot, that it's sort of like, are we agreeing to have these iterations? Like, is there an expectation of iteration? Oh, is that trademarked yet, Aaron? (laughs) It's not. That's a good one. Uh, Well, let's see. Maybe it needs to be one of us. (laughs) <laughs> is there an expectation of iteration or is there not? And and so if someone is sharing something and, and they kind of think, well, hey, I'm a genius, I've got it figured out and this is the way forward and what we're going to do and y'all need to respect that. 
And, and then they get challenged like, oh, hey, what if we did this? They'd be like, no, Aaron, actually, I'd like to do it the way I said I wanted to do it. And like a little, little snippy there is like, oh, okay, note to self, don't speak up. Uh, <laughs> I don't feel psychological safety. And, and then, yeah, I think you've nailed it there is do we or do we not have an expectation of iteration? And uh, I think for the most part, we'd be, it'd behoove us to have that about most things. Is that fair to say on, on, in your view? I'll give you the, the way in which I think about it is I go on a daily basis to meet with new groups of people and do, right, we, we dive into trainings and, and most of the time they're 20 or 40 hours of the course of six or 12 months, but sometimes it's just a day or a day and a half, or it's an hour. And even in that amount of time with a group that I'm just working with for the first time, I create a set of agreements with them and we establish agreements for how we're going to work together in this room. And one of the agreements to what you said, Pete, is do the next hard thing. And what we mean by do the next hard thing is challenge yourself, get out of your comfort zone, speak up, try things out, make mistakes, challenge me. And so in doing that, the expectation is someone to raise their hand and say, you know what, Aaron, I disagree with you. That's what we look for because that's how you breed and grow great learning and great development is how you process information. It's not supposed to all be clean and logical. It's supposed to be a little bit messy. And so when you ask, is that something that should happen all the time? Yeah. I mean, just extrapolate. If I'm doing that in an hour session with a group that I'm meeting with once, imagine what you could benefit from if you're doing that with people you work with on a daily basis. Well, so what I'm loving here is that, so you're so gung-ho on these agreements. Uh, I'd love to hear what you find are, are some of the, the top agreements that make a world of difference in unlocking high performance. Yeah. I think the, the number one agreement that makes the world of difference in high performance and also in my mind, just the world a better place. And the way in which I describe it is it's called embracing a beginner's mind. And I go back to this quote by Gino Wickman from the book Traction, where he says, the mind is like a parachute. It has to be open for it to work. And if we're not coming into a room, a situation, an environment with our minds open to different possibilities, then we really have a narrowed perspective. And when you have that open perspective, it just creates so much more possibility, so much more growth, so much more learning, so much more development, so much more opportunity. And so that is like, that is the key indicator of success uh, with employees on my company, with leaders that we work with, with clients that we work with, if they have that, which we seek out of all of those different constituents, then success will be there. And high-performing teams will thrive if you have at least a beginner's mind. So beginner's mindset is, is the biggest one in my mind. All right. That's a great one. And lay on another one or two for us. Yeah. Act with authenticity and humility. The way in which I describe this is it's almost like you can sit back in your chair and you can finally take a breath. It's You don't have to put on the mask of the work you. You don't have to be the leader that has all the answers. You don't have to be the Steve Jobs who is brash and rude or the Bill Gates who is measure three times and cut once. The, the right type of leader and the right type of contributor you can be is actually just being yourself, trying to be somebody else, being an authentic. People see through that. Mm-hmm. We're trained at, at understanding and seeing facial expressions and emotions. Whether we know we're trained or not, we've been doing it since we were little kids. Before we could even talk, we could understand facial expressions and body language. And so when we're an authentic, it feeds and it breeds to other people. And so being authentic and humble too, 
right? Not just uh, braggadocious, but also humble and, and having some humility to how you show up in this world. It's one of those things that is, it's just freeing. It kind of like unlocks and releases this mask that a lot of us tend to put on when we go into work and, and want to be awesome by trying to be awesome as opposed to being ourselves, embracing beginner's mind, doing the next hard thing and doing the work. Good stuff. Aaron, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things. Yeah, I would say one of the agreements that I constantly bring up is assume positive intent. Oftentimes when we're in the workplace, we can read an email or a text message and go, oh, why did she, how, and think that somebody else is out there trying to hurt you. And we constantly go like it's a battle, like people are trying to hurt us that we're working with. The truth is, is that most people are just trying their best to do their best. And they might've made a mistake. They might've done something to, to really just figure something out. And if we can assume that everybody's doing their best, assume positive intent, it's going to make the team that you work on a lot happier to be on. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom and power to choose our response. All right. Thank you. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I've really enjoyed the bloomers experiment. Do you want me to dive into it or just a high level? Well, let's hear uh, you know, a sentence or two on the setup and the result. Yeah. What, what they did was they looked at a, a group of students and they randomly assigned certain students to be high performers or bloomers and another group of students to be non-high performers. They just picked them out of a hat, basically. They didn't tell the students that they were labeled as high performer or not, but they did tell the teacher. And as they looked at the course of the year and saw what happened, what they realized was the people labeled as high performers dramatically outperformed, statistically significantly outperformed the non-high performers. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is, is again, the students didn't know, but what who knew? The teachers. And what the teachers did subconsciously is they gave more energy and attention and, a, and focus. And they actually just spent more time listening and hearing those students that they thought were high performers. The coolest thing about this to me is, is the question that, that comes out of it, which is, what if we treated everybody like a high performer? What would be possible then? And so that, that's something I keep in my mind and, and have our leaders think about is, what if instead of just treating your high performers like high performers, what if you treated the other people on your team like they had the opportunity to be high performers? How much better would they do? How much more would they grow? How much better would your team do as a result? Oh, yeah. This reminds me of, uh, what's that educational teacher movie, Stand to Deliver? Oh, yeah. At the Jaime Escalante. Mm-hmm. And he says that students will rise to the level of expectations. And I, I think there really is some truth to that. Thank you. You're welcome. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for asking. That's just a fun one that I've really enjoyed lately. And a favorite book? I'll go with a recent book that I've I just really, really enjoyed, which was Give and Take by Adam Grant. I took a while to read it because I thought I knew what it was about. It was about givers and takers. Uh, but it, it just diving into it more talks about really the the way in which we show up with other people and, and what we get when we give. Yeah, but you know, I, I like I like the way you said that. It took you a while to read it because you thought you knew what was in it. I, I'm in the same boat. So I'll put you on the spot. Can you share with us an insight that you, you didn't have until you actually read it as opposed to just thinking you already knew it? Yeah, I'll share one insight. It's uh, it's actually from a study by Elliot Aronson. It's called the Pratt Fall Effect. 
And what came out of this was as a giver, it's, or just as a person, you don't always have to have the right answer. You don't always have to be perfect. Actually, what studies show is you're liked more if you make some mistakes, if you screw up a little bit. As long as you're still seen as competent, if you screw up a little bit, you're seen more as human. And so people like you more. So if you're a lawyer who has a stutter, that actually could improve your likelihood of winning a case. And so I just, like, that's something I wouldn't have imagined was in give and take. And it was, and the way it was ex- explained and shared and the, the stories behind it, it just, Adam Grant's awesome. I'm just a really big fan of the way he thinks about the workplace, the way he thinks, thinks about people and the way he shares stories. All right. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? So I've been using just literally, honestly, lately, the Google Tasks button. And so Google Tasks is on my phone. Google Tasks is on my calendar and on my email. And it's just really easy to just put things in a checklist. And it, I, for a while, I would email myself, do this, do that. And I'd, I'd have it come to my inbox after, you know, out for a day with 20 emails from Aaron to Aaron that just has a different task. And it was silly. And so just compiling them in a simple to-do list, that's the thing I like about it is it's in the place I work, right? So it comes up right in my email. And a favorite habit? Meditating. All right. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They repeat it back to you often? Feedback is a gift. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? They can go to raisebar.co or the book website, which is openhonestanddirect.com. On there is a whole toolkit of some of the tools we actually talked about today. And you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. Pick one thing from today's conversation and practice it and aim for consistency over the next week. So just one thing that you took away, whether it's you know waiting five minutes and having a phone call as opposed to drafting an email, or it's practicing avoiding using absolutes, work on being consistent on just one thing. Uh, that That's my call to action for, for people listening. All right, Aaron, it's been fun once again. Keep up the good work and keep raising the bar. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciated Aaron's take on the expectation of iteration and how that makes all the difference. So cool distinction there. I think that's worth chewing on. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F528. This will be the last episode of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast for 2019. I wish you a very Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and Winter Solstice and assorted other holidays that you are or are not celebrating. I hope your next few days are awesome, however you choose to spend them. I also hope to catch you for another year of excellent episodes. We will be back on New Year's Day and cranking. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. 
hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.